Okay, so we're thinking today, last part of our series of worship, and we're thinking about what it means to worship with all of our souls. And we're going to be using Psalm 42, as we heard read to us. So if you haven't got a Bible, I'd love it if you, uh, if you did have one. Uh, there's, there's a bunch at the back there, um, and it's page 391, or you might want to follow one on your phones. Can I just say at this point that if you don't have a Bible, you've turned up for the first time here, um, or you don't have one and you're exploring this journey, we'd love you to take one of the G2 Bibles away with you. That's our gift to you. They're not ours. We want you to have it. So we'll be on 391 throughout today. Okay, let's remind ourselves of verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Over this last summer, the Finn family took a holiday to the New Forest. Now, I grew up in Southampton, which is very close to the New Forest. And I was really chuffed that we were going there because I thought, brilliant, I could take Susie and all the kids to my favorite places that I went to as a child. And on one of the days, I decided what we're going to do is we're going to go to the nearby deer sanctuary and we're going to spot the brilliant wildlife that's on offer for us. Now, I had to really work at this, because at the holiday home, there was a swimming pool. Kids never wanted to leave the swimming pool at all. So I had to really build this up, and eventually I convinced them that this was going to be a good day out. We get in the car, we make our way to the deer sanctuary, and the first thing we go to is the visitor center. And in the visitor center are massive antlers on display, beautiful deer skin, maps, trails, activities for the kids. They're starting to feel excited. I'm thinking, this is a good idea, Dad. This is going to be a good day out. So we make our way to the main enclosure. Josiah and Bella are running off ahead, Ruby and Jemima with me and Susie behind. And we arrive, and I lift the small ones up onto the lookout, and we scan the scene. And we see nothing. Absolutely nothing. Not a single deer. Not even the potential bit of movement in the surrounding trees. Nothing whatsoever. So... I wasn't feeling very popular at all. The kids were pretty disappointed, but I'm a fairly determined character. So after a quick prayer, God, don't let this be an epic fail, I said to the children, come on, we're going to go and we'll find ourselves a deer. We're going to go off the trail, in and out of the trees, like Steve Bakshul, the explorer, and we will find a deer. So that's what we did. The kids had a lot of fun. It was a bit of an adventure, but after a while of disappointment, And after a while of almost getting lost, we kind of forgot what we're there for. We've got a picture here. We made our way back to the main trail, and we're just wandering along, all of us totally forgetting about the fact that we were there to see deer. When all of a sudden, Bella spots one. There's a deer, ma'am. There's a deer in the trees. We're quite a long way around the path at this time. There's no one else there. So we literally stand at the edge of the path and we are squinting into the forest. Is it a deer? Might it be a deer? We turn to the long angle camera lens. That's the only way we'll find the answer. We zoom in. Sure enough, it's a deer. It is a beautiful, stunning, fallow deer, hidden by the summer foliage, by the trees, weaving in and out. Can you imagine our excitement when we realized that we'd seen a deer? There it is. Can you just see it behind? Hide in there. Can you imagine our excitement? Ruby is literally jumping up and down. Mom, it's a deer. Dad, it's a deer. Not what you want. Not what you want when you're spotting deers. 
Bella is chuffed that she's the one to find it. Josiah is pleased that the search is finally over. And Jemima, she's pretty oblivious to be honest with you, but uh, there she, she is only one. But I have to say, the end of that story, as we made our way around the trail and we got back to the car park, we passed that same enclosure again, only to see hundreds of deers sat there sunning themselves, smugly looking at us like they'd been there the entire time. But secretly, I was more proud of our find, our personal discovery as a family. And it stayed with us all day. But it also got me thinking, do you know there's a reason why it's hard to find deers? Let me tell you what I found out. They're regularly on the move. And they sleep for no more than 30 seconds at a time. Close their eyes for only 30 seconds at a time. By day... They kind of stay in the shade near sources of food and water. And at night, they keep moving, constantly on the move at night. And they walk directly into the wind so that their predators don't pick up their scent. They've got no place that they call home. They don't build dens. They don't build nests. They're constantly watchful. They keep on the move. And they won't even think about dropping their heads to drink unless they know they're completely safe. So when the writer begins, as the deer, he speaks very powerfully about the place that he's in. And I think directly into our lives and our culture as well. I think this writer is King David, and it's written at a time when he is in exile. So that literally means he has been kicked out of his country, and he's on the run because of his enemies, always on the lookout. And what he really desires above anything is to be with God. I think this can be just like our lives. Full of busyness, full of movement, coming and going, always watching what is going on around us. Do you ever feel like that? Or maybe you're fearful of not missing out on anything. So you keep an eye on everything that's going on around you. You're glued on social media so that we don't miss anything that is happening in this world. Sound familiar? And yet, this world does not and will never be able to satisfy your soul. Okay, so we just need to pause for a moment. Because for us to keep going through Psalm 42 and understand this message, we've got to understand what soul means. So we're going to go on a bit of a journey together. For this, we need to go right back to the beginning of the Bible, to the book of Genesis, where we understand the story of creation of the creation of the world. And we read in Genesis 2, the Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man came a living soul. Right from the outset, we get this understanding that the soul is a mixture of both the earth, the dust of the ground, but also the spirit, the breath of God. They're somehow mysteriously tied up together. And they give us our personality and our consciousness. If we go back to the original language, when that book was written, it was Hebrew. And the word for Hebrew was nephesh. Nephesh. And it literally translates a living being's vital life force that interacts with its surroundings and needs to be satisfied for life to be 
sustained. That word is beautifully and deliberately onomatopoeic. Nefesh. It sounds like breath. The breath of God breathed into us to create living souls. If we go forward to the New Testament, to the latter part of the Bible, the language used there was Greek. And the word for soul in the Greek is siki, which means the inner self and life of a person. So, guys, we are talking about something deep and mysterious here. It's not the physical. It's not the bodily part of us. It's psychological. It's that deep inner life and journey that you and I live out inside of ourselves every day. In the words of C.S. Lewis, you don't have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. So our soul is our life force. And it needs to be sustained in order for us to thrive. It's the part of us that thinks, speaks, acts and desires. It's the seat of our will and emotions. It can be intimately connected to God, as we saw in Genesis. But it can also be that place where wicked, evil, ungodly, unhealthy desires can rise up. And as a result, our souls need saving every day. Now, I'm going to keep coming back to that definition throughout the rest of this talk as we look at Psalm 42. I'll keep referring to it. So we get an understanding of this message, worshipping with our souls. So let's go back now. Remind ourselves, verse 1 and 2. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So David knows that only God can satisfy his soul. Just like water to a panting deer. And he begins from a place of longing and desperation, calling on God to satisfy his deepest needs. Let's go back to our definition of soul. Your soul must be satisfied in order for you to thrive. The author and spiritual director, Sampo Carcila, writes, Your soul is not from the world of form. This explains why the world of form cannot fully satisfy your soul. So our bodies have got needs, hunger, thirst, sleep, and your flesh will communicate them to you very, very efficiently. Very efficiently. But as the 19th century American preacher Henry Ward Beecher said, your soul is often hungrier than your body. And no shops and sell it food. Your soul must be sustained, must be satisfied in order for your life to thrive. So firstly, we worship when we recognize that only God can satisfy our soul. So I wonder, I wonder what are the things that you are using to try and satisfy your soul? The things of this world that don't work. The things of this world that can be damaging. I wonder 
by default, what do you turn to to try and fulfill a deeper longing, a desire, or maybe a pain in your soul instead of God? We worship when we recognize that only God can satisfy our soul. As I mentioned earlier, this this psalm is written in a time when David has been kicked out of his homeland and he's in a place that feels far from God. And it's from this place that he begins to bear his soul, remembering his past and sharing his current pain and suffering. Let's look at verses 2 and 4. Where can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, Where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. As we move through the psalm, David's language becomes even more raw and honest. Look at verses 9 and 10. Why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning? Oppressed by the enemy. My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, Where is your God? We go into chapter 43, verse 2. Even more raw. Why have you rejected me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? We can learn something very, very important from David here. You see, his soul is sad. It's downcast, suffering. He feels abandoned and rejected. And yet, he still worships. God doesn't require an act, a facade. He doesn't require you just to say the things you think you ought to say or to be polite with your language. God longs for us to release our souls before him, to be raw and honest Do you ever feel you can do this? In verse 7, David goes even further. And he actually suggests that his current pain and suffering is coming from God. Look at this. In the roar of your waterfalls, all your waves and breakers have swept over me. His language implies that his soul is sinking. He's drowning. And in that place, he's even suggesting that this is coming from God. Do you ever feel like that towards God? And yet, within this, David's worship is deep. Look at the start of the verse. Deep calls to deep. From the very depth of his soul, he is reaching out to the depths of God's. Yes, he's angry, he's honest, and he's raw, Yet this is still worship. Henry Will Beecher again writes, Of all the battles, there are none like the unrecorded battles of the soul. Let's come back to our definition. Your soul is the place where you think, you feel, and you act. It's the seat of your emotions and your will. We worship when we release our souls before God. So we need to release our souls 
That's essential. But there's a really important question we have to ask ourselves. On our journey into our inner life, in, into our souls, in that place, do we move towards God or away from God? You see, I've no doubt that you've all experienced those times when engaging in your soul, how you're feeling, the depth of your being, that you've started to spiral down and down. And that you've started to move away from God. And the resulting effect is that more earthly, selfish behaviors begin to rise to the surface. Let me give you an example. I've had a difficult day at work and things did not go as I'd planned. Somebody said something to me in the afternoon that just niggled at me and I couldn't let it go. And on the journey home from work, it's just stirring up within me. And then I hit some traffic. I'm impatient. I'm frustrated. It's rising up within me. And then... I get home, and my kids have spent the afternoon making dens out of the sofa. The sofa is literally all over the floor. There are toys everywhere. And as I walk through the front door, I literally trip into the lounge. And I snap at the children, and I shout at Susie about the state of the place. I've spiraled. I've moved away from God in my soul. And the result and effect is selfish. Selfish behaviors and attitudes have taken over my soul. I wonder if you can think of something similar in your life. You see, part of our spiritual maturity is to recognize or or be aware of the state of our souls. But to bring them in submission to Christ. This means accepting and coming under the authority of Jesus. This is exactly what David does. Look at his response in verse 5. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. This phrase is repeated three times across Psalm 42 and 43. And it's always after a time when he has released his soul before God. But he ensures in what could be a period for him of dejection in his soul that he keeps moving towards God. He reaches out to the one who is above his thoughts, his feelings, and his circumstances. And he brings his soul in submission to God and this is worship this is really deep worship we see this pattern in the other Psalms Psalm 57 after describing being in the midst of lions and ravenous beasts David writes awake my soul awake harp and lyre I will awaken the dawn in Psalm 62 after speaking about being assaulted and cursed Troubled within, David writes, find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. David knows that the state of his soul is not where it needs to be. 
It's in no way satisfied. But instead of spiraling out of control, he checks himself. And he actually uses his mind to call his soul into praise. For us, we need to learn to listen to our souls, but bring them in submission to Christ. We only need to look at Jesus to see exactly the same example. Luke 22, we read that Jesus is in anguish. He's aware of the journey he's about to go on to the cross. And his sweat is being described as like drops of blood falling to the ground. And these are his words. Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. Jesus acknowledges the state of his soul. The seat of his emotions. He acknowledges his desire for this pain to be taken away from him. But he brings it all in submission to God. See, I I think it can be all too common when we're downcast that we move away from God. And we let feelings of abandonment and self-worth start to take hold. But instead here, David uses his mind to speak to his soul and to bring it in submission to God. We're reminded to do exactly the same in the book of James. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Let's go back to our definition. Your soul is the seat of your emotions, your will and your desires. But it's the place where earthy, selfish attitudes and desires can begin to rise to the surface. And as such, our souls need to be saved daily. We worship when we submit our soul to Christ. I'm just going to summarize now and explain how we're going to respond to this. So we worship when we recognize that only God satisfies our souls. What are the things of this world that you're using to try and satisfy your soul? We worship when we release our soul before God. He doesn't need an act. He longs for you to be honest and raw with him about the state and the place that you're at. But we worship when we submit our souls to Christ. Let's not spiral away from God as we dwell in our emotions. Instead, let's submit our souls to Christ. So we're going to respond in two ways to this. And we're going to use a verse from the book of Hebrews to help us with this. Just have it on the screen. Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, that's us together, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. 
So what are the things of this world that you're using to try and satisfy your soul? Those things that don't satisfy, that hinder, and can actually even be damaging to your soul. There's some paper and pens on your chair, and in a moment, in a moment, I I want to encourage you to write those things down as a sign of confession. So that literally means acknowledging and saying sorry to God. And then literally, we're going to throw them off. Behind us at the back, there's a number of bins that have got that verse on. So in a bit, we're going to take our paper, those things, and we're going to go and throw them into the bin, knowing God's forgiveness and constant love. But there's a second part to that verse. Let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Do you recognize in your soul a movement away from God? as you've dwelt in your feelings, your emotions? Have you maybe spiraled, turned away? If so, it's time to submit your soul to Christ, to turn and fix your eyes on Jesus. So to help with this, we have a cross we're going to use. So as you go to the back, and you literally throw off those things that you're using those things of the world you're using to try and satisfy your soul. Once you've thrown them off, I want you physically to turn around and look at the cross. We'll move it, it'll be obvious. Turn around and look at the cross. Come and stand before the cross. Come and kneel before Jesus as a sign of submitting your soul to Christ. Here's how we're going to do it. I'm just going to lead us now in a time where we still ourselves. We've heard a lot. After a bit, the band will come and play, and that will be the sign for you to respond when you're ready in the two ways that I've just identified. Please don't worry about others around you. This is going to be your space with God. We're going to quiet our minds and our souls. And I will welcome the Holy Spirit. That's the power and presence of God to come and speak to us. So can I encourage you? Let's just make yourself comfortable where you are now. I'd like to encourage you to close your eyes so that you're not distracted in any way. You might like to hold your hands out as a sign of just being open to God. Holy Spirit, power and presence of God, we invite you to come now and to fill this place. We ask that you would move and speak to us deep in our souls. Come and lead us now, we pray.